Hello, this is Tom Webster, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast with Douglas Burdett. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover the most effective marketing ideas to grow your business. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Tom Webster, and we're going to talk about his new book, The Mobile Commerce Revolution, Business Success in a Wireless World, that he co-authored with Tim Hayden. Tom Webster is a consumer behavior specialist and is vice president, strategy and marketing for Edison Research. Edison Research is best known as the company that provides all of the exit polling data for networks during the U.S. elections and primaries. He is the principal author of a number of widely cited studies in digital and social media, including The Social Habit, Twitter Users in America, and an annual series of studies on podcasting. He is the co-author of The Infinite Dial, which is America's longest-running research series on digital media consumption. His brand, Savant Blog, covers the explosion of data being generated by social, digital, and traditional media and how to actually gain insight from this data. He's a podcaster. His own podcast is the Friday Five, Discovering the Music DNA of Interesting People, where he interviews people of note who talk about five songs and how those songs help to tell stories about their lives. He is also the co-host of the Marketing Companion podcast with Mark Schaefer, which is one of my favorite podcasts, so much so that I have listened to every episode. Tom, congratulations on the mobile commerce revolution and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, thanks, Douglas. I'm I'm happy to be on a marketing book podcast because that means I actually wrote a marketing book, which is something it took me uh, many decades to be able to say. <laughs> well, I guess once you write one, uh, the others will be forthcoming. Either that or you'll never write another one. Yeah, I'm leaning towards the latter. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to write another one, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was a it was a difficult process, but but it's supposed to be. Well, I think. I, I can only imagine, and I, and I hope you change your mind. Tell us the story that led to this book. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the book, the genesis of the book was really with my uh, my good friend, Tim Hayden, who uh, is, you know, an, an amazingly perceptive mobile expert, mobile strategist, uh, done a lot of work in mobile, has done a lot of work in experiential marketing, which is also in my DNA somewhat. Um, and... You know, he had originally started down the path with with this book, and so much of this book is not really about technology; it's about consumer behavior. And so, as he was putting together the book, he first approached me to to help him as a as a tech editor. But then, eventually, we just decided it made sense for uh, for us both to be contributors to the book. So, I like to tell people I was hired to translate it from the original Texan, but I was uh, <laughs> I actually ended up writing some content. Uh, <laughs> but, I've seen him speak, and uh, I didn't think that he uh, had so much of a Texas uh, accent, but I guess, you know, I didn't get to see what he was writing originally, so. Let's set the stage with some uh, facts and figures that it just, uh, when I mention these to folks, it always seems to surprise people. One is that uh, nearly half of all emails are now opened on a mobile device, and I believe half or over half of all internet searches are on a smartphone, and there's more mobile devices in the world than people now. 
Yes, that's all of those things are true. And another thing that I will tell you that is true, which might make your listeners rethink the concept of, of mobile a little bit. I think when we think about mobile, we think about smartphones and, and doing things on the go. But uh, there are, you know, first of all, there's some publicly released data from Nielsen about the percentage of people who have made a mobile purchase and have made that purchase at home. And of the people that have made a mobile purchase, over 90% have made one, made at least one of those purchases at home. And I've done some client work that I can't speak about in terms of market research where those numbers are shockingly consistent. So mobile can often just mean the couch. And I, I think understanding what mobile technology really enables, you know, it, it yes, it enables us to do things out on the go and out in the real world, but it also lets us do things while we're sitting on the couch that we couldn't do before. And maybe that's not good for our, our backs and, and spines and things, but, but rethinking what mobile really means, I think is a big part of the book. Absolutely. Uh, it goes into that. And, and at the beginning uh, was also interesting uh, and surprising where it talked about the enormous changes that are going on with businesses and whole cultures and societies, like in, uh, in Africa with the adoption of, of mobile devices. There was one line at the beginning of the book that I thought really particularly well summed it up where you talked about uh, our real goal with this book is not to help you with a mobile strategy. It's to get you to holistically consider your entire business differently mm. and predict the future with a little more clarity. It really, uh, it did that and it goes into how to think about that. And there was one other part where you mentioned that the mobile commerce revolution is as much about society as it is business. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, when you think about the things that we can do with our with our mobile phones, right? Yes, we have this enormous technology we have you know these incredible capabilities on a device that now fits in our pocket but why are smartphones so ubiquitous why has this technology uh, penetrated the you know the majority of our society and many many others it's not because we have learned how to use them to call pluto and and dial up a jetpack it's because it's it's allowing us to do things that we already want to do that we already have done but have been perhaps more difficult in the past, or there's been more friction. And it's essentially, we have retrained ourselves to do things that we already did want to do in the first place, but now we're doing them easier, faster, and uniquely tied to a device that is associated with you know, you and only you, which the mobile phone is, is one of the few devices that can say that. So really understanding mobile technology is less about understanding the technology, which, you know, frankly, if we had written a book about mobile technology, it would have been obsolete on the day of publication, if not before. It's really understanding how mobile technology has changed behavior. And, you know, you brought up some of the, the case studies that we had in the book from Africa. And this is absolutely one of my favorite parts of the book. A, a bank in Africa began to roll out ways to do mobile deposits. And what happened is not that people who are already making deposits were then just doing it on their mobile device. That capability actually changed behavior and increased mobile, increased saving behaviors, period. So people who weren't saving were now beginning to save because they had this easy, frictionless way to do it uh, from their pocket. So it's not just a, you know, again, it's not just what can the technology do, but, but it's really all about consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. And there was a uh, one line where you, you talked about uh, the information that suddenly all these farmers had 
uh, and they were the the unbanked. And you mentioned where technology removes barriers to information, economic development is jump started. And I was so surprised by that part of the book where you talk about how it is changing uh, whole economies. And what's also interesting was that I wonder if that shows us what's further ahead in the United States, where we seem to be a little behind the curve as it relates to Africa and Asia. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I think, you know, the the case studies in, you know, some of the, you know, developing world that we present in the book, uh, to me, are really glimpses into what could happen here if we were able to remove some of the, you know, the barriers and the friction you know, even just internally within companies to get those things done, right? It is, I think, mobile technology, it is very easy for the smallest of company to do something nimble and effective and something that really satisfies the, you know, profitably delights the customer. Uh, And in some ways, it's easier for smaller companies to do that than for large companies that have all of these legacy systems that they have to incorporate in this, you know, huge runway leading up to decisions that they make that, in mobile, frankly, if it takes you two years to make a decision, by the time you've made it, the technology's gone. I addressed a, a group of CEOs about the book several months ago, and they brought me in to talk about, help us craft a five-year strategy for mobile. And I said, you know, it's good luck with that, because if you had brought me in five years ago, how many of you would have had a BlackBerry? You know, and almost every hand went up. Like this stuff moves really, really quickly. And if you're going to base a mobile strategy on technology or what some technology enables, you're do. I, I would submit you're doing it wrong. You have to start with the customer first. What what friction can you remove from the customer's life? What can you facilitate with the customer uh, that will you know satisfy a need, want, or a desire that's spoken, unspoken, known, or unknown, and then back into how do you do it from there? And it's not necessarily the most high-tech solution. Mm-hmm. At one point, you mentioned some of the best mobile strategies don't even use a smartphone. Oh, yeah, goodness, no. Uh, I think one of my, uh, you know, two of my favorite stories are, you know, first of all, uh, the uh, Lollapalooza, the big outdoor music festival that takes place in Chicago. They essentially did, had a mobile payment system that didn't need the phone at all. They used a wristband that was tied to your credit card, had an NFC chip in it. And essentially you just had to, you know, wave your wrist at a beer vendor and get a beer. Uh, And, you know, I, I don't have exact numbers on this. I can tell you anecdotally that there was double digit percentage gains of the amount of beer they sold at Lollapalooza because, but again, they thought about the, they thought about the end user. They didn't think about the technology. They thought, all right, uh, this is an outdoor festival. It's going to be rainy and muddy the whole time. How do we make people, comfortable spending money how do we and maybe i don't want to take out my smartphone in the in the pouring rain maybe i don't want to get mud all over it maybe i don't want to lose it whatever they thought about the humans and when they thought about the humans they realized well let's find a way for the humans to pay for things that a does not require them to pull out their phone uh because maybe they have food or drink in the other hand anyway and then b so that they really don't have to think much about it at all so they removed a barrier like if you know almost like a physical barrier for the customers to pay and in doing so removed a mental barrier that might have held them to a budget <laughs> so that's one that doesn't use a that had no use of a phone at all and mm-hmm. i you know and really i think the company that has one of the most developed uh, advanced and successful mobile strategies in the world is is starbucks 
you know, I've seen some data on the number of per- the percentage of transactions through Starbucks that take place with their mobile app. It's around 10%, which is a, a, a shockingly high number to me. And there's nothing particularly technologically advanced about the Starbucks app. It's a barcode that you wave at a physical scanner. It's future-proof. It, it has absolutely no relation to iOS or Android or anything else. It's a barcode that you that you scan with a physical scanner. But again, it's it's future-proof. It's dead easy. And it was also based upon a consumer insight from watching humans. Starbucks marketers watched humans in line. And they realized that while humans were in line to order their coffee, what were they doing? They were on their phones. And when they got to the counter, they then had to put their phone away and pull out their wallet or somehow juggle both. And so really the heart of the, of the Starbucks mobile payment app was simply a way to uh, make it easier for the consumer so that they didn't have to put the phone away. Ethnographic research must be the most undervalued research where you just follow someone around and see what they do and you realize, mm-hmm. wow, that's, that's uh, I, I hadn't expected that, but... <laughs> It can yeah, be very revealing. I am a, I am a huge fan of, of ethnographic research. And I, I think uh, with mobile technology and the need to develop compelling mobile strategies, I think uh, it's going to become, I'm not going to say more in vogue, but I think its value is going to be more clearly seen by people who are as yet uh, unfamiliar with it. You know, I do a lot of work with qualitative and quantitative data, right? I mean, the big data that you get from looking through your, your database files or Google Analytics, uh, all that quantitative data is important, but it is it does not stand on its own. And the best way to understand the pains or the friction that your customers are going through for them to live their lives or let alone just have a transaction with you, the best way to see that is to simply watch them do it. And we do a ton of ethnographic research. I mean, you know, one of my favorite ethnographic research stories was, you know, Procter and Gamble has always done a lot of ethnographic research. And some of that involves sort of camping out in the homes and lives of, of humans. I always say, watch the humans uh, and watch, watching their humans do laundry. And they notice something that they never really even thought about. And that was the alarming number of washing machines that had on the top of them rings where the detergent bottles sat. You know, because the detergent's always spilling and you set it down on the on the washing machine and there's, you know, a ring of detergent left from the bottle. And so the first thing that they figured out was not something they had expected to figure out at all. They were, you know, trying to get a sense of laundry habits and how people wash their whites and, and things like that. What they realized was we need to work on a spill proof bottle. And that's how Procter and Gamble developed the spill proof bottle for a lot of their detergents was watching people leave rings on top of their washing machines. I mean, there's just no substitute for observing humans because it's really uh, talking to humans as opposed to observing their click streams is the only way to figure out why people do things. Your, your click stream data will never tell you why somebody does or doesn't buy your product. You have to talk to them. And I don't think they would have said, hey, Procter and Gamble, what I really want in life is a spill-proof bottle. No. It's, it was probably, to their, to their mind, just a, a necessary evil, right? It just happens with everything, you know? Uh, it, it's not necessarily the first problem they would have thought about solving. They might have thought about, you know, I'd like it to smell better. I'd, I'd like my socks not to be gray or, or, or whatever. Uh, it might not be something they would have necessarily checked on a, a questionnaire somewhere because they might have just thought, well, there's just no avoiding that. 
But Procter and Gamble really took it to heart and solved the problem. Mm-hmm. This ties uh, so nicely into the the chapter about the mobile mindset, which I thought was one of the most valuable chapters. And in it, you said that getting the mobile minds getting the mobile mindset, it's all about getting your head out of what you're doing and and into what your customers are doing wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah. So the mobile mindset is, you know, yes, it's about getting your head into what your customers are actually doing. And also a point that uh, Tim and I make several times in the book, it's about thinking holistically. It's not just about marketing, but it's about really understanding what are the barriers we can remove? What is the friction that we can alleviate? And when you start to think about that, you have to bring in operations, you have to bring in sales, you have to bring in all of these various silos in order to make these things work. And you know, the, one of my absolute favorite stories from the book is about uh, a, a restaurant chain that's that's down in Texas, down in Tim's neck of the wood, called Torchy's Tacos. I love the Torchy's Tacos story. Uh, they watched their humans. Uh, they have they, they were working on a mobile app that would allow people to order uh, tacos or or dinner, whatever, to pick up. Right? They they didn't do delivery, but you could call ahead and pick it up. So they thought about how the humans would be using their mobile app and they did a little research and observation. And what they discovered was that people would call torches on the way home from work or just while they were driving, they would, they would do this from the car. They would use, you know, they, they would use apps in the car while they were driving. One hopes they did it at a stop sign or a red light, but this is what was happening with the mobile app is that people would pull out their phone in the car and order dinner. So, they rethought everything, and this involves not just marketing, but also operations and finance, and you know, they thought holistically about it. They essentially let people order their dinner from the mobile app and not have to pay for it. Now, you think about this, is why would you do that? But what they realized was so many people were ordering food from the car, they had one thumb with which to do everything, right? You've got a hand on the wheel, hopefully stopped, and you've got a hand on your phone, and you're doing everything with one thumb. And if so they, they had made, to pay from the car, you'd probably start killing your customers. That's exactly right. You're, you're not going to enter in 16-digit credit card and then you know, pull out your credit card and find the security code. And People just weren't doing that from the car. And so Torchy said, well, we'll do away with that. We'll let people pay when they get here. Uh, and so when they did that, they saw enormous jumps in sales because people – would then just, you know, they could order their dinner quickly with a, a couple of thumb strokes, not have to enter in all that credit card data, show up at Torchy's and pick up their tacos. And what's, you know, what you might have thought might have been a concern, people ordering a bunch of food and then not, not coming and picking it up, never really materialized. Instead, it has turned out to be a very consumer-friendly, uh, human-centered and humane way for people to use torchies and for people to order food from torchies and that's an example really of a thinking holistically but also really putting the consumer first and understanding where is the consumer when they are using this app and what are they doing they are mm-hmm. they're not concentrating they're they are stopped in traffic and they need to get through this quickly one of the best bits of advice uh, that i think was in the book is where you talk about hiring a mobile strategist before you hire a mobile technologist. It seems that so many companies want to jump straight to the tactics of let's do an app or let's uh, build a a mini site or something like that. Tom, before we wrap up, there's just one other question I wanted to ask you uh, about the book. And that's where you said nearly one in 10 smartphone users 
admitted to using their phones during sex. Mm. I'm just wondering, was that self-reported data or was that observed? Uh, that was 100% observational, Douglas. Um, Please tell me you weren't involved in fielding that research. I, I do all of the research work uh, and, and whatever it takes, whatever the, the difficulties involved, I, I, I took one for the team there. Well, I was just troubled, especially also it said it was even higher amongst 18 to 34-year-olds. So mm. we've got great business advice. We've got sex. All these things are in the book. So, Tom, let me ask you just a couple wrap-up questions. What marketing book have you read recently that you recommend? So I'm, as someone who has been a student of consumer behavior for a couple of decades, I have an idol. I have a hero, and that is Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, who is a, an, basically started – the discipline and the science of behavioral economics. There have been so many books from Freakonomics to The Paradox of Choice to Irrationality, all of these books written by all of these people, they're all pulling from the work of Daniel Kahneman. Most of Daniel Kahneman's work is locked up in papers and academic research, but he did put out a book a couple of years ago called Thinking Fast and Slow. And I think if you really want to gain some insight into how people think that's based on all the experiments that Daniel Kahneman has done, that's a great place to start. It's a book I, I come back to often. We're going to have some great links in the show notes. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? Uh, no. Uh, currently, I am reading a book by Darwin Ortiz called Strong Magic that is about presentation for showmen. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I, I do keep up, uh, certainly, uh, from an academic perspective with the uh, you know the output of my field i'm a, I'm a researcher so a lot of what I read is about perspectives and, and best practices in market research and, and qual and quant and, and things like that uh, so I do you know from time to time I'll read a marketing book but uh, i I try to uh, read as much fiction as nonfiction mm-hmm. I think there's a great lesson for marketers there too. Which marketing blogs do you enjoy following? Uh, I don't read too many. I don't have uh, a time for a lot. So I certainly uh, I certainly read Mark Schaefer's my, my podcast compadre. He's always got great content. He does. I am a, I'm a definitely a loyal reader of uh, Jay Bear's Convince and Convert, which I feel like is a, a really a survey course for the modern digital marketer. Uh, and if you if you did a little more than just read all the content there, you'd be much better off. Uh, so those are those are two that I definitely read. How can listeners find out more about you and your book? So there's my blog, which is brandsavant.com, and my company is at edisonresearch.com. The mobile commerce revolution is uh, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere else books can be ordered, certainly. It's uh, published by by Pearson. And I'm on the Twitter at Webby2001. Webby2001. Tom, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me, Douglas. Well, that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get notified of every new episode, show notes, links, resources, and the occasional free stuff. Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free, super helpful marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics. And if you don't see what you need, let me know. If you've left a review in iTunes or Stitcher, I want to thank you. It's amazing how much a one-sentence review boosts the visibility of the podcast so more folks like you can discover it. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Until next time.
Yeah. I hope this will be the best bio intro ever uh, you get on any podcast. <laughs> I put I put some time into this. I have I have no doubt. <laughs> All right.